Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. Today with us we have Jade Clark. Jade is from Scotland in the Highlands and we're very, very lucky to have her here on board with us today. Hi, Jade. Hi. <laughs> we connected via Instagram a little while ago and we just realised that there was so much that we had in common about trying to raise awareness for hip dysplasia um, and trying to make some changes in policy and making sure that there are as many people out there that aren't affected in the ways that so many of us have been. So if I could just ask a little bit about your backstory and when you even heard about dysplasia for the first time. Certainly. Um, I first heard about hip dysplasia when my daughter was diagnosed at 18 months old. Um, I'd been I'd heard nothing. There was nothing. No talks of when, you know, I first fell pregnant or, you know, talks that this could be something, you know, further up the line, you know, things to look out for. To be honest, hip dysplasia really came into our lives when Sky started to, when she started to walk, she sort of waddled like a duck. Um, that's the only way, yeah, that's the only way we can sort of describe it. My partner always said that Sky had one leg longer than the other and I used to brush him off and say oh, we've all got one leg longer than the other you know none of us are completely symmetrical but you know I wish I'd listened to him at that point because I think that would have been our key factor point um, with you know the children with hip dysplasia. Um, I took Sky to the GPs and was told look it could be a balance issue bring her back in six months you know she's 12 months you're lucky she's walking don't worry about it but something inside of us just didn't, it didn't sit right. You know, no, no child should, should waddle like a duck. You know, their, their walk and their gait should be perfect. Um, we challenged health visitors to come out and everybody, it took for about two weeks for a health visitor to come out and see us. Um, to be honest, we were dismissed by a lot of health professionals and it was, it was brushed off. It took about maybe a month before another health visitor came out and actually stripped Sky and got her to walk where she could see that Sky's hips were uneven. And then we saw a different GP who examined her once and said, look, no, something doesn't feel quite right there. You know, I want to send her up to Rigmore Hospital. I want her to have a, an x-ray. I want her to be checked. Now, Bearing in mind, before I go any further, Sky was checked in hospital as a baby and her hips presented as normal. Mm -hmm. She was checked at her three-month checkup and was presented at normal. And she was also checked by a different independent health professional. And again, her hips presented as normal. Now, when my baby had her x-ray and I saw Sky's hip, I can assure you that should have been felt. That should have been <laughs> up. You know, Sky's leg was completely dislocated she had no socket at all there was no no socket at all you know the fact that she'd went her whole whole time from you know being born to 18 months and this hadn't been picked up um to give you a bit of a of a backstory we um in 2014 we had a, a daughter called jessica that we had to bring into the world and unfortunately medically terminate because she had some problems so when we fell pregnant with Sky, Sky was immensely checked. I mean, we had so many scans with Sky. She was, from the moment she was born, they were checking, you know, the circumference of her head and things like that. So 
the fact that Sky's hip dysplasia was missed is even more disheartening because she was a baby that was routinely checked, that she, you know was was watched in every way, shape, or form. And one thing that's been actually really detrimental to her little life was missed by so so many health professionals. It it it, it is disheartening. It is you know there needs to be such a big shake up within our our NHS there really does <laughs> I ask um you said that obviously she was checked um routinely um as part of her initial assessments and then she was checked again and she was checked again at three month um so she was obviously checked quite a few times has sounds like it was quite a severe case so she basically had no socket anyway um do you mind talking us through a little bit about the type of assessment that she had what was done what they checked at what they kind of did really yeah basically they they move their legs um so they they will bring your baby's legs you know back and forward and push them back and see if they can bend them you know a wee bit behind where they should be so that they can feel that there's a full rotary motion um and really she, she passed those you know really how her how her right hip felt compared to her left should have been obviously completely different. Um, but it is literally just the test with they're moving your baby's legs and to see if you know they, they match up evenly on each side, if there's any discomfort or, you know, if the baby's showing that maybe one side's more more limp or more weaker than the other. Um, and Sky passed all of that. She she aced it and it was um three different health professionals. I mean your baby's checked by you know a nurse within the hospital and that's a-okayed by a doctor and then they're checked by a health visitor which is a-okayed by a doctor and then you've got a doctor checking them which is a-okayed by a doctor <laughs> you know, so there's so many different people that are actually involved you know that when you once your child is diagnosed with hip dysplasia and you look back on it that's where you start to wonder well how did all of these different health professionals miss this you know there's a term that we don't quite like to use which is slipping through the net mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's what happened to sky she slipped through the net yeah this is exactly what happened with with me personally my mom said that i was um quarter 18 months um and that she like yourself had had a real battle trying to get somebody mm -hmm. to take her seriously um, that you know she'd gone in so many times um, it's written in my notes that they called her an obsessive mother because she kept coming back and asking all these questions and saying something's not right and again they redid the tests and they were like she's fine stop worrying um, and then 18 months they did admit that there was a problem and I had the scans and then obviously the the rest of the intervention started taking place. So once you'd got that diagnosis at 18 months, what was the next stages? What happened um, within you and your family and medically? Um, shockingly, honestly, I was handed no information. I went up to the hospital with Sky. She had an x-ray and it was explained to me that she has hip dysplasia. Um, two doctors told me that what they would have to do would be to break her pelvis and quote unquote that's exactly the words that they used with me and I went wait a minute here wait a minute it says that's where my baby's babies will be grown and held and come from and what do you mean you're going to break her pelvis you know I, I don't quite understand um, 
luckily for me, I was brought up in a family where we were taught to research. You know, you, you come home, you know, you, you research, you look into things. And luckily I had that built into me. So when I left the hospital with no leaflets, no AIDS, nothing explained to me, nothing explained to me of what hip dysplasia was, where it came from, how could my child have hip dysplasia? Um, I came home and I Googled. I Googled like every parent does. And I searched for every tiny little bit of information that I could possibly get my hands on. I looked at YouTube videos because my first thought was, okay, well, how do I take care of her? How am I going to wash a baby in a cast? How am I going to look after her? What what needs is she going to need? You know, she's not going to fit in her buggy anymore. What about, you know, car seats, things like that? You sort of go into a panic. And unfortunately, there isn't information out there. If it isn't, you know, for, for Facebook, I'll be lucky. I really wouldn't have had a lot of information, you know, for the, the DDH charity sites. Um, Natalie herself, I've noticed you've done a podcast with her. You know, their, their Facebook pages are fantastic and they're such a great information source for, for mums like me that first jump into the scene and don't know where to look for any information. The internet is great, but you get hit with, everybody's horror stories, so to speak, you know, the, the stories that went wrong. Um, and when I was paralysis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it scares you even more. You know, you're, you're looking for a, a story that somebody's child's been diagnosed and there's this miracle cure and they're all fine and they don't need to go through anything. And pff, hip dysplasia isn't like that. You know, when, when our children are missed and they, they go past past one it's extensive operations and it's it's a lot for their little bodies you know and I I needed to research and find out what as a parent I could do to make this journey as easy for her as possible so I, I did I reached out to the internet and luckily came across Facebook sites I have to say though the National Hip Institute um, their website was very informative and wasn't scary it didn't put you off from looking, you know, you, you, the operations were explained in a way that you could understand without having a doctor's degree, you know. Is this the uh, International Hip Dysplasia Institute with, uh, with Andrew yeah. in the States? Yeah. Yes, yes, I, I did, I found that website fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And again, steps, the charity steps, yeah, um, the... So. yeah I sometimes I don't think they get enough recognition they do they do a lot I mean if it wasn't for steps I would have had to pay an extra 110 pounds for a, a Britex car seat um you know they they do a funding unfortunately with word of mouth it has went down slightly um and that's where myself and a lot of other mums try and you know pick up the slack we do some go funding pages and things like that for car seats and for families that need them um there, there are organisations out there, but you've, you've got to look. So, you know, you're, you're not told. So bearing that in mind then, which, um, so you've obviously mentioned steps, and you've mentioned some of the Facebook pages, the websites that you found helpful. Um, what are the other charities or support systems that you found useful? Because if you found them useful, again, other people might be able to reach out and use some of the support that they offer. 
Yeah, to be honest, the, the main things are, are definitely steps. Steps, the National Hip Institute, with, without a doubt, you know, they do have a good Facebook page as well that you can contact and message anybody. The, the sites like um, Natalie's, you know, and the DDH Charitable, you know, um, there's one for Ireland and UK as well. I would promote them massively. You, there's always, when you're up all night with your baby, and you're struggling and you don't think anybody else understands what you're going through. You know, it, a baby in a cast is, it's very tiring. It's very hard. It's, you're sleeping on couches, your whole house dynamic is completely different. And to be able to go on there and there's be somebody awake at that time in the morning that can be there to message you and offer you advice and say, well, do you know what, that's okay. It's okay to not feel good today. It's okay to not know everything because as a parent, you want to be able to do everything and know everything. And simple things like keeping your baby dry with a nappy is difficult. You know, you, you need to know how to, to tape your child and use, you know, poise pads inside of nappies and all these layers of tapes and duct tapes. And without the knowledge of speaking to people on these Facebook sites, you can't gather that imperative information. And it is imperative. It's imperative for, for yourself and for your, your child's care. You know, it's, sim it's simple little things that there's, there's nothing out there. You, you can't get it in a book, you know? Well, you can, you can get Natalie's book. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my mum used to use, and this is this is not going to be highly embarrassing for um, anyone listening that knows me at this age. But um, when I was in my cast, my mum had exactly the same concerns again. You know, how do I keep you dry and clean? This cast is going to be on for a really long time, and you know that can be a bit of a messy area, especially. <laughs> I was 10 at the time, so I was having to stand up to pee um, and sort of aim over a toilet. So it was a messy situation. Um, so apparently she used to um, line mine and my sister's casts with sanitary towels. So around yeah. the corners, um, and because they had the sticky bits, you know, it was absolutely perfect. But little, thi little things and tips like that um, can really make a difference to somebody. So sharing those stories and those really tricky details can make such a difference to to other mums and other people um any any care that's going through this situation and looking after their their children yeah you you do you you feel at a loss until you meet somebody that goes do you know what it's okay we had to put explosion and do you know what <laughs> this is what we've done and this is how we got through it and do you know what you you can do it you can manage it i mean i think that's why by the time I'd got round to Sky's fourth operation, I decided to make a Facebook page for Sky and note her journey. And I suppose I was a wee bit more confident as well to be able to say, look, you know, I've been through this a couple of times now. I sort of know what I'm doing. I can offer advice to somebody else, you know? Every cast is different. Every child is different. Every situation is going to be different. But if you've got little tips that you can then knit together to your own way that works, that really does help. And it really does work on helping you spread more information as well. Because sometimes, you know, you'll put up something and a parent will go, well, 
do you know what, I tried this, and you know, actually that did really work. And you go, well, do you know what, I'm going to try that and see. And you go, oh, well, that was better than my way, you know? So there's always, and there's always something new coming out. I mean, people are inventing hippie sticks that help push, you know, the the nappy up the back of the cast and things like that. You know, there's always something new. So the spread of information and like things like this or speaking and talking, it, it it does help, it does. You know, I think hip dysplasia is hidden. It's hidden too much and we need we need to talk because the more we talk, the more parents are going to recognise early signs that might stop their children going through operations. You know, it's it's early detection with hip dysplasia is key and that is true what they say. We we need to be stepping up the game a bit within within our doctors, within our NHS, within protocol. I mean, within Britain alone, in Scotland, protocol within different hospitals is completely different. No two hospitals will treat you the same way, you know? So, I mean, that's that's really tricky. And, and this is what I admire so much about what you're doing. So um, with that, let's sort of maybe have a chat about a couple of the things that you're doing. You've let me know that you are currently working to do a couple of things and to do with what's called a child children's red book. Um, yes. I haven't heard of that um, where I am in the country. So can you tell us a little bit about the children's red book? Yeah, the children's red book is a red book that we all get as new mums in Scotland and across England and Ireland and Wales. Um, that is basically a book that notes your child's journey, your child's progress, your pregnancy progress, immunisations. If you go on holiday, you have to take this book with you. You have to carry this book with your child up until the age of five. This information, um, as well as graphs um, that you know your child should plot on, and you can see your child's progress as they as they grow. I actually found out that there was a page about hip dysplasia within the red books and when I found this out I went and I checked my red book and I didn't have this page and I wondered well why why don't I have this page that says you know a little sentence about hip dysplasia what it is you know the fact that it's the joint you know and the, the socket not forming properly to hold the joint within the hip socket and some key signs to look for and I didn't have this page and I thought, well, why not? I'm going to put up on the Facebook site and say, well, you know, who's got this page? Who hasn't got this page? You know, you know, I want to see. So it started to come out that there was mums that you had 12 children. They'd had their children up and down Scotland and England. And some of their books had this, what I felt, a vital information page. And some of their books didn't have it. So the more digging that I'd done, I found that actually less and less books had this this information in it so I wrote to the Scottish government and I says well you know to me with a child with hip dysplasia if I'd had that in my red book I would have had something to reference back to like my child waddling or walking with a limp or one leg being longer than the other or maybe you know she's got an extra crease at the side of her leg you know these these are vital things that should never have been taken out of a book that is for my child, for my child's welfare, to record my child. You know, I don't, I don't understand why it's, it's potluck to who has this page. You know, surely that should be in every page across, you know, every country. Every country should have this page. We should have this information. And I was basically told that, you know, it was taken out, you know, to make way for 
these new graphs that they'd started bringing out. And I says, well, most of our children don't fit on these graphs for a start <laughs> because all of our children are different. You know, they, they all make their own path. They all plot their own way. What do you mean that you're telling me you've taken out a page that's vital for, for you know, our child's healthcare for reference for us to look back into and see, okay, you know, is there this, is there that? To be honest, I've been pushing, I think, for the past two years to try and have this page reinstated. And I'll be honest, they do keep trying to pan me off here and pan me off there. And I, I email them every month and say, you know, look, this isn't right. Since I've brought it up, I've started doing newspaper articles, local paper articles of where they, when I do an article, they have to obviously speak to a Scottish spokesperson to get a reference back to what I've said. Um, since I've started doing that, they've decided that they're going to bring out a new book uh, we have a ready steady baby book and they're now bringing out a new book that then will have more of a reference to hip dysplasia within this book because they stated to me that there is a reference to hip dysplasia within the ready steady baby book so I went and I got my ready steady baby book which is a book that tells you you know from Day one, right up to age five, you know, healthcare, pregnancy, what your body will go through, and you can go and check, you know, your stages of your pregnancy, what your baby would be. Oh, sorry, that's hit low power mode. I'll have to chuck you on, George. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, so you can see, you know, as your baby's growing, progressing, and then born, what to expect through labour what to pack for your maternity bags. It's, it's about that thick. So I went back and I looked in it and I'm looking for this reference to hip dysplasia and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, well, it must be a page, at least a page, you know, of, of hip dysplasia. And there's nothing in, there's nothing in. I'm looking and I come across this tiny little sentence. It's a tiny little sentence that states that when your baby's in hospital, they will do a hip check, which is to check if your child has hip dysplasia. And that's all it says. <laughs> oh, no. That is all it says. And I was completely outraged that the Scottish government person had said to me, you know, I'll brush you off. There's reference to it in the Red Steady Baby book. You know, you, you don't need it in the children's red book. There's, there's reference here. And I'm like, well, actually, no, there isn't. What, what does that tell any parent? If I want to know what to pack in my maternity ba ba bag, there's two pages two pages dedicated to that but yet yeah, something that's detrimental to a child's well-being healthcare, structure school you know I mean if you don't get hip dysplasia quite early it can affect them in further life you know I've, I've met you know I've got a friend myself um, that's had to have further operations further up the line because she was panned off it was growing pains it was you know hip dysplasia always seems to get brushed under the carpet it never seems to be acknowledged when a parent first asks a question they always seem to be brushed off and I think then parents then get scared to then keep asking questions there's no such thing as a silly question when it comes to your kids never ever absolutely never you know so um You've also, I have been trying to get um, leaflets put in newborn baby packs, the STEPS leaflets. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit more about your process getting through to that. 
Okay, I um, I took it forward to NHS Highlands that I wasn't happy with Wigmore's protocol. Um, the fact that Wigmore Hospital, when Sky had her first operation, when she was casted, she was an X-rayed. So unfortunately, Sky sat for seven weeks in a cast with a full dislocation, and none of us were aware of it because she wasn't x-rayed after she was cast to make sure her leg was in place. So I started messaging NHS Highlands about these points that I thought Rigmore could do better and should do better and, you know, places of where we were slipping. So they brought me up to a meeting a couple of months after me barging them and barging them and emailing them and says, well, look, we'll come up, you know, and discuss some things with us, you know, talk us through Sky's journey and where you feel we could have done better. Because, you know, if, if people, if things are broken and people don't say, look, that's broke, nobody's going to know what needs fixed. You know, we've got to stand up and say, look, come on, let's, let's work together and do something here. And when I went up there, they were, they were understanding and they'd, you know, looked back and it was them that had brought the proposal forward to me and says, look, what about if we could maybe put steps leaflets within our newborn baby pack? do you think that would be something that would be beneficial that would help new parents and I was like yes definitely of course you know because steps isn't just linked with hip dysplasia you know steps is linked with club foot and things like that and they are still issues that we are dealing with in every region that you know there isn't again enough information out there we still haven't seen any of these leaflets yet um, that's still something I'm obviously, you know, have to keep pushing with. As they say, Rome wasn't built within a day. Um, <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think the government likes to think that if you are quiet for a little bit, they will, you will forget and you'll, you, you'll stop fighting if they, you know, keep bringing you down. And that's not something that's, that's going to happen with myself or my partner. You know, we, we are going to keep pushing. And I have, you know, not long done a newspaper article again um, within my local region and resent out emails. The unfortunate thing is everybody changes job. So when you build up a par with somebody like, you know, the Highland Chief Executive of the NHS, when they change job, I then have to start my position all over again of resending these emails and getting the attention of the person that's then away to take their job. And sometimes, you know, that isn't always easy, but it is a job that I have volunteered myself for and I will keep on going, you know. NHS Highland is a tricky one. You know, it is. We, our, our hospital covers a, a big, grand area and it doesn't have the resources that it needs. I don't feel that the hospital is how can I put this in a nice way? <laughs> how can I put it in a nice way? Um, it just doesn't perhaps have the resources to be able to give the care that they might want to be able to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, when I, Nine Wells, when I talk about Nine Wells, Dundee, now that's where Sky had her last operation. It's like completely different. You know, the protocol is different. The standards are different. Everything is different. And you, when you feel that your child's getting a better level of care from a hospital that isn't within your region, 
that does fill you with a bit of sadness, if I'm honest with you. I, I want people to be proud of the treatment that they receive from Ragmore. And unfortunately, the Highlands, we have quite a high rate of children with hip dysplasia slipping through the net. We have a lot of children in the Highland region that we have parents, you know, asking how do we get transfers away? How do we, you know, get a transfer to Nine Wells? How do we get a transfer to Glasgow? How do we, you know, our children has had three operations now within Wigmore Hospital or, you know, and that's not a position of well, I want our hospital to be. You know, they, they, they need to listen to us parents and understand that we know because we've lived it and we've walked it and we've watched our child go through all of these operations that really actually, do you know, see if we just ultrasounded every newborn child, most of our children would not go through these operations because this would be picked up early, they would be placed in a harness and, you know, nine times out of ten, these children do not need these operations. They say it's money, it's money. We, we can't do that because of money. I can guarantee you that Sky's four operations, five casts, <laughs> the amount of hospital stays, food, electricity, TV, that would have cost the government so much more than what it would have done just to simply ultrasound every newborn baby. It's not... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out what works and what doesn't. You know, if you look at the stats in Poland, you look at the stats in Sweden, you look at them in Norway, you know, Norway have um, hip expert examiners and that's all their job is, is just to check baby's hips. The statistics of children slipping through the net has dropped because, you know, we have professionals within this line. Poland, I think Poland's probably the perfect idea. Every child, ultrasound them, let's have a look. You know, if the fact that you can see their wee hip, you can see their bones, you can see their structure, you can see what's going on. It makes no sense of what we're doing in our country. It really <laughs> doesn't make sense. You know, children are, are suffering because we can't just get it right. I, th I think everything that you're doing and everything that you're fighting for and is absolutely incredible. I think you and I are on the same page, the IHDI is on the same page, everybody is working towards the same things and I think the more, like you said, that we talk about it, the more we can get that awareness out there, then the more hopefully people will listen and know that this is something that is important and going to be absolutely crucial to one, saving the NHS money, um, <laughs> and two, for the well-being of us and our children and any future generations coming through. And it's it's amazing to hear how passionate you are about all of this. And I would really love to help in any way that I can. So any articles that you write, anything that you want me to share um, to help improve you know, that any, any, any part of this process or protocol or procedure that can be changed, please let me know how I can help. And, you know, That's fantastic. That Thank you. as much as we possibly can. Um, so how, how is your daughter now? Like, so she's, she's had four surgeries and five casts, I believe up to this date. How is she managing sort of day to day now? Luckily, Sky is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. She's great. We aim, went down to Nine Wells last year on May the 4th, Star Wars Day, and I have to say the force was with us that day. Um, they done a 
completely different procedure, unfortunately. Sky needed reconstructed. She needed a socket reconstructed instead of her hip reshaped. And her femoral shortened, which obviously opened her hip to give that socket. She didn't have that the first three previous times round. She had a saltier instead of a dega. Um, whereas nine wells were like, no, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. Luckily for us, though, it, that operation was last chance saloon for Sky. Um, so we were lucky that it did work. Unfortunately, they would have been leaving her till she was older if it didn't. Um, because they more had went in too many times mm -hmm. and scar and tissue and things like that could have been, you know, affected if we kept on going. I'll be honest with you, the fear and worry of that three months to wait to go back down to Nine Wells was terrifying. But see when he said, Yeah, it's worked, it's worked. <laughs> you know, I was Relief. yes, excellent, you know, excellent. And to be honest, she had her metal workout in August this year and she is a normal little four year old girl. Oh wow. So her walking you know, her mobility is good. Yeah, I mean Sky still has a, a slight limp because her female is obviously a little bit shorter um, but now that the metal works out that should catch up mm -hmm. and shouldn't be a problem at all but to be honest you barely notice it now you know I think after a while you get used to how, how she walks you know maybe somebody that out of the blue that first met her would go oh you know she's got a little, a little limp but no she's she's great she's fantastic running around enjoying life trampolines bouncy castles you know just yeah being a normal a normal four-year-old which you know most of her toddlerhood was taken from her you know she spent most of it sitting on a couch in a cast or you know at a table in a cast you know so it's it's beautiful to be able to watch her blossom into a little girl now and enjoy her life and her freedom you know it's just further up the line that we'll have to you know, obviously things like arthritis and things like that in the future. Um, Sky will need a hip replacement in her 40s. Um, but again, that's future. At the moment, yeah, she can just live and enjoy her life and be happy, which as a parent is, yeah, fantastic because she spent most of her life struggling, you know, and being, being held back. You know, when she first went through her first operation, I... At 18 months, I had a beautiful little girl that could sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. She was full of so much light and joy. She had her first operation and I'll be honest with you, it destroyed her. She, she became mute. She wouldn't speak. She <laughs> wouldn't interact with her dad, um, which, caught, you know, was a, quite heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, yeah Ian, Ian had taken Sky down for her. Um, first operation he didn't want me to have to go through remembering putting her to sleep which you know I was like okay yeah please you know <laughs> and unfortunately that that bit him in the bum and it was almost like Sky blamed him she she wouldn't allow him to to help in any way shape or form she pushed him away into the side and it was it was quite difficult because Ian wasn't able to to help or offer relief in any way because it was causing Sky distress and and that it was heartbreaking to watch and to watch their relationship break down. You know, a doctor will say to you, they're young, 
they don't remember, they won't remember. I can promise you they do, they do. It does affect them. It does affect them as a little person, as a little being, you know. Sky still has nightmares to this day of where she will wake up and shout for reassurance, you know. It can affect them in more ways than just making them immobile. And you've got to spend a lot of time rebuilding them back up, building their confidence. It, it, yeah, don't ever trust a doctor. <laughs> they say, you know, they, they won't remember, you know, because it's, there's no way a child could go through all of that and not be, maybe scarred isn't the right word to use, but you know, that it won't affect them in a way. We're, we're all human beings, you know, and our brains are fantastic things. That doesn't mean that because you're a child, you're going to shut something out. You know, and I think, you know, we do have to remember that, that they, they do need dealt with kitted gloves. They, they do need wrapped up in cotton wool sometimes, you know, and it's important to, for doctors to know that this does affect our babies and it does affect their development. I mean, I couldn't give Sky a normal cup when she should have been coming out of sippy cups, you know, the ones without the lids and things like that, because if she got her cat cast wet, that could have damaged her operation. You know, it, it, it can hold back a lot of things. And I think that's why it's important that, you know, doctors and GPs do listen to what we're saying, that things have to change. Even models that you're practicing on, you know, to teach doctors what a dislocation feels like, you know, have a look at what maybe isn't working and see what you can do to actually try and make a difference. Instead of just looking at graphs and statistics and that survey that that couple of areas filled in go out and speak to parents you know go into hospitals go and actually find out where they feel yous are lacking because that's the only way that anything's actually going to be solved or you know a difference is going to be made I mean the BBC News had hip dysplasia on it not that long ago um, I don't know if you're aware of that I could maybe share it on my Instagram of where nine wells you know were linked with that and trying to share the awareness and I think we we need to do more things like that get more into the media the news you know tv you know scream it from the rooftops if we can because child parents aren't being told what hip dysplasia is until your child's being diagnosed and really that's the wrong way round you should have the key factors and know what hip dysplasia is so that if you notice these key factors, you can act fast on it. And that's where we're going wrong. That's where the, you know, no health visitors or midwives or anything talk about hip dysplasia. It was never spoke to me the whole time that I was pregnant. It was never discussed as a thing that, that could be within the background. You know, it was, it was never brought to my attention. So parents can't know what signs to look for if they're never told, mm -hmm. you know? I think there's so many things that you've covered today that are so important and I think going to reach a lot of people on a very personal and emotional level. Um, and I think it's just something that we just keep needing to strive for. And some of the things that you've just said have given me some really great ideas that perhaps we'll have a chat about after uh, the interview's finished about ways that we can maybe take this a little bit further and ways we can implement change a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
but like I said, I'd absolutely love to keep working with you on this. And you know, this is this is the whole reason for me doing this podcast and getting to this stage in my career and wanting to make these changes. So, you know, that I'm absolutely there with you and we'll do everything that we can to try and make these changes for, for the future generations. Um so I think we'll probably wrap up there for today. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing. Oh, thank you. And I'm so sorry Kyle was sick. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's all right. We can, we can always rearrange. It's never a problem. Um, but yeah, just thank you so, so much. It's been absolutely amazing to hear the story and the journey that you've been through. And I really hope that other people listening can take something forwards from what you've said, learn a little bit and feel supported with some of the really personal stuff that you've shared. So thank you so, so much. Um, we will keep in touch and um, speak to you soon. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>